little uh, busy right now. So yes. take a while to get back for sure. Well, thank you so much uh, for agreeing to um, to do this. I know you're probably pretty busy. It's um, it's it's definitely a busy time, but I'm honored to do it. I'm, oh. I've been I've been watching you from mostly LinkedIn and afar, but so it's great to you know reconnect on here. I'm really glad to be a part of it. Right on, right on. Well, welcome to No Thanks But Yes, a Freedom from Addiction podcast, chill conversations with splendid people who've overcome chaotic relationships with substances. And now we're doing some pretty awesome stuff and we're just talking about it. And on No Thanks But Yes, we introduce ourselves. What's your name and, and what do you do? Who are you? My name's Harry Canan. Um, and that's a hard question. Who are you? Right? It's, it's, I feel like it's, it's a prompt to, you know, I, I could jump in and say, you know, I identify as somebody in recovery. Um, but who am I? Right? I'm, I'm a dad. I'm a son. I'm a husband. I am, you know, somebody who works in the addiction treatment space. I'm a lot of things and I'm, I'm constantly changing what those things are. And that's, that's what I like about it is that I don't have to be stuck with one, who am I all the time? I like it. I like it a lot. I think that's a splendid answer. You're not the first person to go, oof, <laughs> who am I? Uh, but yeah, you're, you're, uh, avoiding the, the one dimensional label and, uh, husband and father that's awesome yeah right on and it's kind of weird i'm sitting here listening to you because i uh i bought your you and your mom's book and uh what's on audible which is really right. cool because y'all are the ones reading it and i'm like yeah. <laughs> it sounded like i was listening to the book for just a second there <laughs> cool 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 so yeah uh, we'll talk about uh, the book and we'll talk about you know, what you're doing in this space and what you do for fun and uh, what message you want to leave with people. We always talk about kind of how we met and you kind of touched on that a little bit in the beginning, just kind of uh, watching each other through yep. digital channels. And um, I think that was it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We crossed paths on a meeting at some point on Zoom. Um maybe a year or two ago i don't remember when probably close to two at least now um but then since then we connected and i've just been you know watching the many things that you're doing and appreciate all of the work that you do in and around this space oh same same brother um when, when we leverage our recovery and our access to privilege and power to to better the lives of everybody impacted by substance use that's where it's at yeah. I see you doing absolutely. absolutely. All right. So do you identify as a person in recovery, Harry? I do. I do. Um, you know, you mentioned the book briefly. So, you know, with the book out there, it's it's kind of hard not to um, <laughs> putting the whole story out there. But, um, you know, I say that I do now, but I, I will say that early on um, for me in my recovery, I was really reluctant to. Right. I, I was somebody who felt that that shame and that stigma. And I didn't like to identify that because, you know, or identify with that, because for me, when I think of I had a, a different definition of recovery then than I do now. And I think we'll get into that in a minute. But 
you know, I was just somebody who, when I heard recovery, it made me think of, you know, what I thought was an addict, right? I couldn't separate the two. Um, so I struggled with that in the beginning or putting that out in any sort of public way. But today I, I absolutely, absolutely identify as a person in recovery. Oh man. Appreciate you sharing about that, that, uh, deepening from, from internalized stigma and shame and, and a previous perception to, uh, you know, who you are and what you do and what you know, and, and you're a person in recovery now. And so what, what does recovery mean to you? So for, for me, again, you know, when I first was <clears throat> introduced to this, I came in and, and what, could sometimes be considered, I guess, a really traditional path. I'm somebody who I went to treatment, you know, I went to inpatient treatment, rehab, for lack of a better term. <clears throat> and, you know, there I was introduced to some some 12-step fellowships. And, and in the beginning, that was super helpful for me. Um, you know, that's where I first found a community of people that were um, trying to make positive changes in their lives. And, and that's what I needed at the time. But, you know, for me, that was a little over 10 years ago. And my, my definition of, you know, what recovery means today is so much more than that. You know, I thought it was just <clears throat> defined by, by those, you know, that group in the beginning. I thought that, you know, because of that, it was defined by abstinence. And it was defined by these really strict things that if you didn't follow this program, you know, then then you weren't doing it. And and what I found is that that's it's so far from true. You know, today when I think about recovery, you know, I think about um, finding purpose. You know, to the like Webster definition of recovery talks about you know regaining something that has been lost. You know, and I think in the process for me of my relationship with drugs and alcohol was I kind of lost who I was. And recovery has been the journey of trying to try to get back to who I am as an authentic person. Mm. Um, so it means so many different things and it constantly changes. And and for me that that works. I don't want to be in a spot where where I ever feel walled in by that definition because it needs to change and evolve and grow as I do. Oh, uh, uh, you're, you're probably the first person to say that. We all discuss the change, the deepening, uh, but I, I think you were, you're the first to say it needs to change with us. I like that. And also you nailed um, the holy trinity of, of how I define uh, I guess, a pathway of recovery, find your people, find your purpose, find yeah. yourself, yeah. And community, purpose, and autonomy. And and you said it so much better than I, I don't know. I like, I like the succinct, clear people, purpose, self. I might, I might borrow that because I said it in a whole lot more words. <laughs> no, it needs to be explained. You know, I mean, we can come up with these pithy comments, but, um, you 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 found a community of people on a pathway of resolving a chaotic relationship with alcohol and drugs. You discovered uh, how to leverage your gifts into some kind of purpose on this blue marble, and you're you're figuring out who Harry is. That's what's up. 
it's, yeah, it's man. a fun ride. <laughs> it's a fun ride. Well, I'm happy for you. I'm proud of you, man. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, maybe talk a little bit about the book and what you're doing in this space. Um, the book was pretty high profile. You, you've got a famous mom. <laughs> I've, I've got a famous mom. And, and uh, I guess we'll start there because I am not somebody who ever intended to write a book. Uh, but one of the the things that comes along with a famous mother is, you know, she would be appealing for a book agent for somebody that they would want to write a story. Um, and when this agent found out about our story, he approached us and I was about five or six years into recovery at the time. And I, I, I say that to say up until that point, you know, before I was approached to write this book, I was really, really closed about being in recovery. I didn't talk about it. I worked in a business environment where it didn't feel safe to talk about it, wouldn't have been understood or accepted. Um, so I felt like I kept that part of me really, really private. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so we had an opportunity to write this book. And, and as we started to write the book, one, I'll say writing a book with your mother is uh, <laughs> it's a challenge. You know, I think anybody with a mother can understand that. Uh, I love her to death. I have a mother. I get but it. it. But it is, it's not easy. Um, but it was so valuable for us to learn about what we had been through. So she is, she's a member of Congress now. But before that, she was a lawyer and a professor of writing. Nice. So growing up, she always talked about to write is to learn. You know, when we write things down and we process them, we get such an opportunity to understand them on a deeper level. So to write this story, this memoir with her about what we had been through, through the active addiction, through the substance use, through trying to figure it out, through the beginning stages of recovery, it was such a valuable process. But in starting to write it, one of the things that I recognized was something that I struggled with when I was actively using was I couldn't identify anyone around me who was in recovery. Ah. So I didn't see any hope. You know, the, the crowd that I had surrounded myself with were all people that were just like me. And I liked it that way. But I also felt an incredible feeling of just hopelessness because I wasn't seeing anyone get better. Mm. What I found, um, and I don't want this to be sort of a harsh critique of some of the 12-step things, but... I think there was a lot of value and anonymity for me in the beginning mm -hmm. until I could find and feel stable within myself and, and trust in who I was becoming. Um, but I think it's really important that people share stories, diverse, different stories about all the different pathways and what worked for them, what didn't, um, because we need that. You know, when I was struggling, I needed that. I needed to see that that maybe there was something that would feel a little bit better than what I was doing. And, and I couldn't find it when I was using. So I didn't know that it existed. So that's why I wanted to write the book. That's why I then have switched careers entirely to get into this space, to try to be more active in, in helping people, in sharing, you know, storytelling, not just mine, but trying to lift up other stories. That's wonderful. You know, we, we, we do have a tradition of anonymity in 12-step cultures of recovery. It, it is a principle that is, it's at its purpose is to preserve 
the the fellowship itself to and to promote humility etc yeah. etc et but what we discovered is this thing called recovery visibility and that's what we call it and the the dual purpose that it serves is is that big hope shot that that it gives you not only you know see people in 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 subcultures of recovery but you're you're at work and at play and and high profile and you see people thriving in recovery in all walks of life and so it gives you that hope and that that was what inspired me to thrive in recovery uh i don't know maybe about seven years into my recovery i became inspired by some people who really grabbed at some brass rings and so i was like "Ooh, i want to come get me some too and then the advocacy value yeah. of uh storytelling so we uh developed something early on called advocacy with anonymity yeah. out of face and voices of recovery and it was a way to encourage people to leverage their stories of recovery from chronic illness uh without you know violating the traditions of their culture so yeah. you you found no, I yeah i think the visibility is so important you yeah. know and, and that's and it's a you know, in, in writing a book, it's it's sort of a fine line, right? I always preface it when I talk about it is it's not a how-to, right? Because a lot of, especially a lot of parents will be like, I've got to give this to my kids so they can do what you did. That's not what it is. You know, it, it's one story. You know, it's it's one. There's more than 23 million of us. You know, if you could get the visibility of, you know, millions of us out there with the incredible things that are going on in people's lives, if people can see that, right, that, I mean, that would transform the way that this country deals with, it deals with addiction. It's, in a day. It certainly would. So many diverse stories. And I, I'm so happy that you said it, it is not a how-to, it is simply y'all's story. Someone yeah. may identify with it in detail, but for the most part, it is one of many stories. Yeah. What's the name of the book? So the book, thank you, because my publicist would be furious. I'm sure I do this all the time and I, <laughs> I I forget to mention it. So we actually, we wrote two books. The first one is Under Our Roof. Under Our Roof is the co-authored memoir of my mom and I and our family's experience with addiction and recovery. In the process, we had an opportunity actually to write a children's book. Uh, so when we were writing the book, uh, Penguin Random House, who was publishing it, their children's editor reached out and said, hey, we want something to to try to lessen the stigma for little kids. Mm. Um, and, you know, my story is I went away to treatment and, you know, fortunately started my recovery process when my oldest daughter was one. So it was just after her first birthday, I went away. And, you know, so as soon as that idea came, I, I loved it. You know, if we could do something for kids without any of the, the harsh language or any of that, just to talk about the emotions and feelings of what it feels like to grow up in a household, oh. someone has this chaotic relationship with substances. Um, so that book is called You Were Always Loved. Oh, man. And, and it sounds like some of that Mr. Rogers good medicine talking about feelings. Yes. yes, it's yeah, it's that feelings of I mean we know little kids the world revolves around them, right? They can't understand that it's not their fault. Um and and I just remember when I was struggling 
you know, wanting to be able to show my daughter that I loved her and being incapable of it, right? The feeling was there, but I was incapable of showing it. I can't and, and I never wanted her to feel that or feel that, that was her fault. So the book, you know, that book, You Were Always Loved, is really meant to be a platform for parents or caregivers to just have these conversations about emotions that that are hard, right? But that are so important for healing. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That is one thing I love so much about Mr. Rogers is yeah. he's deeply respected the, the, the living experience of youth and that we, we needed to respect that and, and meet them where they are and affirm their feelings and yeah. oh, beautiful. Well, I'm gonna have to get that book now for sure. I got some little people in my life now. I'm a grandfather now. So yeah, you got, I got youngins. <laughs> Yeah, we've got, I've got 11, two and three, or no, two and one. Sorry. 11, That's all right. Two 11, two and one. That's great. I had, uh, we had four kids coming yeah. up. They were pretty young when I got into recovery and explaining it to them, you know, was kind of difficult. <laughs> it sure was. So yeah, yeah. Hear, hearing that story would have been helpful. Well, excellent. And I see you engaged in some uh, some advocacy as well. Um, you know, we just we missed each other in D.C. recently, but uh, I got to see what you were posting there. So you, you're doing some of that good work. So that, yeah. So for me, that is some of the most, you know, so my, my day job is I work for care and treatment centers and, and it's a great opportunity. I, what I do primarily is I. I focus on fundraising for scholarships and for research. Um, two things that I think are really, really important. But, but one of the things that so, I'm so passionate about is the advocacy work, because I think there's an opportunity to make such a bigger, just a significant impact um, for so many people, for my kids, for their kids, for, for so many friends. Um, you know, there's there's just such a need for us to be out there. So so one of the benefits of of having a a semi-famous mother who's a member of Congress is, you know, is an opportunity to connect with a lot of people um, that are passing legislation that, you know, I can say from, you know, so many of the people that I met with want to do the right thing. Yeah. But they need us you know, and not just me, they need all of these different stories and they need to understand what we need so that more people can get better, whatever that looks like, you know, but so that less people are dying and less people are suffering, um, you know, so, so, you know, September recovery month was a blast. We did, you know, a press conference at the Capitol, it was at the recovery summit at the White House, um, went up to Clinton Global Initiative with the, the team for Mobilized Recovery. So it was back to back and it was it was so energizing, right? But what, what I wanna do and focus on is keep that going. It's not just a month, right? We need that all year long. We need people doing this advocacy work year round. September's great, the weather's beautiful. It's a great time to be in DC, but we really need people like you who are doing this work day in and day out um, because that's how we're going to make a change. It takes, it takes that daily effort. Oh, 
I love it. Vigilance in our advocacy. Um, in all of these interviews, I, I, I seek out the title of the um, episode in the conversation, and I'm kind of leaning towards keep it going. I like it. Yeah, you said it. Uh, I like it. <laughs> keep it going. Keep it going. Got to keep it pithy, though. <laughs> what I really want to put is September is a beautiful time of year in D.C., and it's a great celebration, but yeah. we need to keep it going year-round. That would be a great title. <laughs> that's, that's a hard one to squeeze down, but I like it. <laughs> well, it'll be, it'll be the episode. I am with you. Um, uh, deliberate education, vigilant advocacy makes changes, uh, and I'm gratified to be at tables when real policy is being uh, changed at the federal and state municipal levels. And more of us are at the table now than were ever there before. And I think we see the change that's happening. And I'm, and I'm so grateful to that, right? Because I'm brand new at this. You know, I got into this, I've been in recovery a little over 10 years, but I've really only been in this space, working in this space for three and a half, four. You know, so I'm, I'm brand new, right? But when I'm around people like you and so many others who have been paving this path, you know, I get to learn every day. So every day in this advocacy piece for me is exciting. And I think that for anybody who's listening, if you're on the fence, if you haven't done it, haven't jumped in, trust me when I say it is one of the most rewarding things that you can do. And it's, it's not that, it's not intimidating. Right. Anybody can do it and everybody brings their own unique value. And that's what's cool about it. We need all of those different perspectives. Yeah, we're, we're all eligible to come and bring some. Yeah. We all bring some value. There's no there's no profile or, or entry exam or prerequisite. You know, yeah, I love that. It's a very equitable approach to to advocacy. If you're on the fence, come get you some. You will make a difference. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Well, that's what you're into today. And I, you got a little snippet of your vision for tomorrow, something around vigilant advocacy yeah. and, and all of us coming forward and telling our stories. I dig that. I'd like to take part in that future. What do you do for fun? Because part of recovery is it's not a trudge through a veil of tears. Maybe the first couple of years were for me, but after yeah. that, um, I, 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 I'm still, I get, I get weird. Yeah, I, I do too. It's fine. If, if I thought of, you know, the things that I do today as the fun that I would be looking forward to when I was first getting into this, I got into recovery at 22 years old. And oh my, my fun then was, um, once I got over the fact that the, I thought the world was going to end if I stopped using drugs, um, I started to have a blast. But, you know, my fun today looks like, you know, doing things with things with my kids, you know, taking them out, getting to experience, you know, activities through their eyes. I also preface this by saying, so I live in New Jersey. I work in D.C. I basically live in my car on I-95. So the time for fun is can be a challenge, right? So that's where I really value that time with the kids. The other thing that I've been doing for about the last year, and maybe this isn't fun in the 
traditional sense, but something that brings me real joy and peace is I wake up really early every day. So every day I get up at 4.30 and I have time to, to read and to contemplate and think and journal and, and have that time to be present with myself. Now, again, if, if I thought that was going to be fun when I was getting out of treatment, <laughs> you know, that, that would have been like the worst nightmare, read and sit by myself. But for me, it gives me such joy today You're to be able to have that time of sort of solitude and quiet. Um, but I love it. But I think, you know, I'm somebody who, what I do for fun changes all the time. You know, I, I, I pick up little hobbies and I stick with them for a little bit and I, I try something new. Um, I'm, I haven't yet found that one thing that's like my, my thing, which is okay. That's all right. Keep exploring. But no, that was a solid piece of getting up early, getting up early and living, living early and yeah. exploring early and feeling early. I, I, I like it. I like it a lot. And I could picture your 22 year old self saying, okay, boomer. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I, I was, I was the last person that I would have wanted to become, Yeah, but it's, but, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah. I like getting up early and uh, getting some things uh, organized. I love yeah. walking through the woods and uh yeah, some some old man stuff. I'm all yeah. right with that. Yeah. Well, we uh, we always leave on a message of some kind. Do you have a do you have a tight little message for folks that you want to leave in their minds at the end of this episode? I think the message that I would have, you know, more than anything, is to be open, right? To be open minded. If you're in this. To, to all the different ways that, that we change, right? I know that, you know, we talk about the different pathways. We talk about, you know, there's sort of the harm reduction and treatment, but we need to be open that, you know, collectively we're changing and everybody's trying to do the right thing and get better. So if we just continue to show up and keep working at this every day with an open mind. Like the difference that we can make is incredible. But the, I think the only thing that we can do to get in our own way is if we're not open-minded with each other, you know, about understanding that, you know, we're, we're coming from the right place. We're trying to do the right things and we need to accept that other people are where they are and they view things how they view them. And that may change too. Um, but we need all of those perspectives in order to really come up with with effective policies to help people. So that wasn't super concise. No. Nah. It was a little bit clear. But be open-minded. Yeah, yeah. Be open, show up. And uh, I love it. The, 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 the closing of our minds can get in the way of, of our progressing. Yeah. Well, sir, it was a treat. And I hope that we... Uh, get to meet each other in meet space sometime soon maybe up in your neck of the woods my beloved wife is from new jersey awesome yeah i would love to so you let me know this has been a blast yeah. I, I always enjoy talking to you i love the the idea of a chill conversation on a podcast it's it's refreshing we need, we need more of these chill conversations don't we yeah we do all right buddy thanks, thanks. see ya